our last sermon today, uh, once again, we have two texts. And uh, the second text we're going to read, um, which is where I want you to put your thumb and flip to the first, is Matthew 28. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20. If you're using the Blue Bibles, that's on page 835. So page 835, Matthew 28, put a thumb there, and then turn to Acts 2, which is where we're going to start. Um, it's on page 911 of the Blue Bibles. I'm going to read Acts 2, 42 through 47. All right, so let's read Acts 2, 42 through 47, and then we'll turn to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Acts 2, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. All right, turn back to Matthew 28. Look at Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. God, we have seen over these last weeks that uh, nothing in our life is supposed to be about just us. And that includes our community. The relationships that we have, they exist for your glory to help us grow in maturity in Christ. They exist to give us opportunities to care for one another in the community and in the world outside it. And as we see today, they uh, are also for encouraging us to live out our faith, to go out into the world and be disciples who make disciples in turn and help other people see the truth of who you are and come to live a life in faithfulness to you. So I pray that you would inspire us with this word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a guy named Max Stiles. Um, he's currently the pastor of an international church in Iraq, and he served for a long time in Dubai as well. Um, in a, a book that he wrote, I was reading recently, he tells a story about a young woman named Kelly who was from Brazil. So Kelly is Brazilian. Uh, I think she's Brazilian-Japanese, he said. And she comes to the United States uh, while she's in high school as kind of a foreign exchange student program. So she comes to the States, and she's hosted by a couple who are also Christians. She attends church with them, you know, for some time while she's there, but she's not particularly interested in the faith. So she hears about it, um, you know, has a good relationship with them, kind of moves on with her life. She becomes a flight attendant with Emirates Airlines, and she moves to Dubai 
And this couple knows the styleses. And so they reach out to Mac and his wife and they ask, hey, you know, this girl is living in Dubai now. Here's what she's doing. Um, do you think you could connect with her? And they say, sure. So they reach out, they get her contact info. They invite her to their church while they are out of the country. So the styleses are gone. She gets invited to their church. She attends. While she's at the church, uh, Styles says, she uh, meets two women, one who's from the Philippines and one who's from India. They get to know her. They invite her to lunch. Uh, they give her a few books about Christianity and invite her to a Bible study after that. So she starts attending the Bible study. And then finally, uh, Mac and his wife get back into Dubai. Mac's wife, Leanne, has lunch with her again, shares the gospel with her, where it kind of lays out the basic truths of Christianity. And eventually, Kelly, this young woman, becomes a Christian. And Mac writes this in his book. He writes, multiple continents, a couple of churches, various cities, many languages, numerous ethnicities, diverse personalities, years of prayer, spoken and written communication, two lunches, one gospel. When I baptized Kelly in the hotel swimming pool where our church holds its baptisms, I couldn't help but cry for joy over everything God had orchestrated for his one lost daughter, Kelly. That story beautifully illustrates the truths that we're going to look at today. That God works together with a whole community of Christians, not just a small group or even a church, but across the world, multiple communities, to bring people to himself. That he has a purpose on earth. He's not just kind of sitting up there, folding his arms and waiting for us to get things right. That he is active in the world growing his kingdom, and he invites us into that purpose and that mission. And our communities, including our small communities, our community groups, have the privilege and the blessing of joining with him in that. So when we look at our text today, we're going to see first God's purpose, that God is growing his kingdom on earth. And we're going to see how he invites us into that. But let's look at that first, that God is growing his kingdom on earth. Now, we don't really use the term kingdom anymore, but the verses in our Acts passage show us a snapshot of the earliest Christian community, which is kind of another word for God's kingdom, what that looks like among a group of people. And so if we look at our Acts passage, we see that there were people who were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Um, so they were dedicating themselves to God and his word, that they were, had devoted themselves to one another, that they were building these deep, thick relationships that weren't just kind of hospitable and joyful, but also intimate, where they shared each other's burdens and they cared for one another deeply that they were growing in their devotion together. So they were kind of pushing each other on to grow in Christ. All of those things, growing in the worship of God, building deep relationships with other Christians, caring for one another, those are all aspects of what it means to live in God's kingdom. That's where God is known and worshiped, and neighbors, our people, are known and loved. So this passage is a snapshot of God restoring humankind to the way that we were supposed to live, the way that he made us to live. See, God made us to have our restless hearts resting in him who made us and whose love is the most foundational thing in our lives. He created us to gladly and joyfully bear the burdens of our neighbors, to care for those who need it, because we can't live life alone. We were never made to do that. And he made us to grow in Christ and look forward to the hope uh, of the day when God is going to remake the world with no sin or suffering or evil. And the entire creation, like one of the prophets said, is going to be filled with the knowledge of God, like the ocean beds are filled with the ocean. 
So that's God's kingdom on earth. That's what we are called into, and that's what God is growing right now. So if we look at the end of our Acts passage uh, there at verse 47, it says that they were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord added. God is growing his kingdom on earth. So this is something he's passionate about. And we can actually see this passion all the way through the entire storyline of Scripture from beginning to end. Um, just in the interest of time, I'm going to share a few highlights from that. And we're not going to turn so we're not spending our whole time flipping. Uh, but let me share a few highlights that show God's care for this, his passion for this. All the way back at the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, God makes the first man and woman, and he makes a garden for them, which is a little kingdom. It's a special place and a special relationship that he's made for them. And he tells them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. So what he means is he he means take this garden, this little kingdom I've started for you, and spread it out over the entire world. Um, That doesn't go well for anyone who knows the story. Uh, The earth gets filled, but not with people who know and worship God. Tragically, you might think the story ends right when it starts. But thankfully, God doesn't end the story then. Because in Genesis 12, he picks a man named Abram to start his kingdom again. And he tells Abram, I'm going to bless you, but I'm not just going to bless you. He says, in you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. That's in Genesis 12, 3. So God says, I'm starting over with you with one person, but this relationship we have is going to impact every family across the earth. It's going to lead to blessing for the whole world. In Exodus 19, when God is creating the nation of Israel, this is several, uh, you know, like 100 years after that episode with Abraham, he's rescued Israel from slavery, and he tells them, he says, you're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so what that means is he says, I'm going to make you a little kingdom, but in this little kingdom, you are all going to be a light. You're going to be a beacon for the entire world to see who I am and what it means to live with me. And then after Israel has failed to keep up uh, that kingdom, failed to keep their covenant, God promises that a servant is going to come and he's going to rebuild that kingdom again after it's been destroyed. And through the prophet Isaiah, uh, God says this in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So God tells this servant, I'm going to use you to take my salvation, not just to the nation of Israel, but to the entire creation. One more. Uh, This one is from a vision from the very end of the story in the book of Revelation. So the apostle John has a vision of heaven, and in Revelation chapter 7, he sees this. He writes, Behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is a great multitude, impossible to number, from every tribe and language and people and nation who have been brought into the joy and the hope of God's kingdom. That's the fruit of God building his kingdom on earth. 
That's the fruit of what God is doing, what God is doing here in history, in the world right now. Lance, who's one of the overseas workers we partner with, um, he preached on this earlier this month, the beginning of July, and he also preached on it the last time they were here a year ago. He shared stories of how God is bringing people in the Middle East to himself using both miraculous things like mysterious dreams and also just ordinary things like selling fruit. That's happening all over the world. Christianity is booming in South America and Southern Africa. It's growing in China, which has a government that's actually host- or actively hostile to Christianity. Population-wise, the center of Christianity, I think Lance shared this, has actually moved out of what we probably think of, which is sort of like white European culture, English-speaking world, to what's called the global south, um, because it's grown so fast in Latin America and in Africa. There's a 2022 estimate from Gordon-Conwell University. They estimate that uh, there are about 2 billion people across the world who claim Christianity today. So that's over a quarter of the world's population. And over half of them are in the global south. So Christianity is a worldwide movement, a worldwide kingdom that has exploded across tribal lines, ethnic lines, language lines, class lines to fill the earth. That's what God is doing right now. He's bringing people into that kingdom that begins here on earth and extends on into eternity. And this is important for so many reasons. But for today, it's important because this is God's primary mission on earth right now. Um, Like we kind of joked already, he's not kind of sitting up there waiting to see if we screw-ups can kind of quit going on with our mess and get things right. You know, he's not kind of waving his hands and going, what are you doing down there? You know, he is at work slowly and steadily bringing people to himself, bringing people into his kingdom from spiritual death to spiritual life, bringing them to this hope and changing the storylines of individual people, entire families, entire peoples. God's kingdom is growing no matter what the world feels like, Um, no matter what our lives feel like. God's kingdom is growing, and we can take heart in that. Here's the second thing I want us to see today. Not just that God is growing his kingdom, but that God calls us to build his kingdom with him. So God calls us into this work that he is doing in the world. Let's turn to our Matthew passage. And I'm going to read the whole thing. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this passage is sometimes called the Great Commission. It's Jesus' last command to his disciples before uh, he goes back to heaven. So after his life, after his death, after his resurrection, before he goes, he gives them this commission. And he tells them in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me because of who he is, of God the Son who became a perfect human being, because of his obedience to carry humanity on his shoulders down into the grave and then back up again in obedience to God the Father, he is now going to be crowned the king of the entire creation. It's a title that he deserves, an authority that he deserves. And he tells them, go build this kingdom. 
that I've been given. Go build this kingdom that I've been put in charge of. And he uses the language for it, go make disciples. So create people who follow me, who dedicate their lives to living with me and to following after me here on earth in anticipation of that kingdom to come. He says, I'm building the kingdom, you go build the kingdom. That's making disciples, and that's a term for spiritual multiplication, what some authors call it. And it's something that we're part of. And so what we see in this passage is that God has ordained it so that the human side of that divine mission that we talked about already, the human side, the side we can see of the invisible reality, is God's people not sort of huddling up and abandoning the world, or kind of going around self-righteously haranguing the world. It's God's people taking the message of his reconciliation, the message of his kingdom, and lovingly, patiently sharing that out with others and asking others to join in it, trusting that God is going to be the one to make that finally happen, to make it real. God has called us to train up the next generation of Christians to follow after him like he's brought us to do. It's making disciples of Jesus. When Lance shared the stories of the Muslim family coming to faith a few weeks back, he talked about the daughter-in-law who received a dream of a man saying a phrase she didn't understand. That was God's side of it. But he also said, and she only realized what that phrase meant because her father-in-law was reading the Bible out loud and she heard the phrase that she had heard in her dream. And she asked him, what was that? And asked him to explain it. So God's work and her father-in-law's work combined to bring her to faith, to bring her to life in Christ. So Jesus calls his people. He starts with the disciples, but then he says, teach them everything I've commanded you, which means it applies to us too, Um, not as professionals, not as super Christians, his ordinary people to join him in his work of building the kingdom on earth. He calls us to join him in the work of spiritual multiplication. Just like biological parents have the privilege of cooperating with God to bring physical life into the world, we have the privilege of cooperating with God to bring spiritual life into the world, to see new people come to faith and come to life in him. We get to join in our Heavenly Father's work. C.S. Lewis, he's the author of the Chronicles of Narnia books, he has a sermon called The Weight of Glory. Um, It's so good that at some point in my preaching career, I will probably have quoted the entire thing kind of piece by piece. Um, But uh, one, I'm going to just one bit today. Um, But after a long reflection, he makes on the fact that we are eternal beings. We're not just mortal ones. He writes this. He writes, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. At another point in the sermon, he says that all day long, we are helping people toward one kind of eternal life, either an eternal life that is reconciled to God and enjoying that hope in the new creation, or a life that is alienated from God and separated from him forever because we're just too curved in on ourselves. So this call to spiritual multiplication isn't about expanding our tribe or earning some kind of points. You know, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't benefit us directly to be part of this work. It's joining in the work of our Heavenly Father, just like a kid wants to join in the work of their parents. They love their parents. But it's also an act of love 
Because if there is a real eternal life that is uh, really significant for people, if there is really a God who made everything and deserves our worship, then it's an act of love to share that with people. Um, there's a man named uh, Pendulette you might have heard of. Um, he's a magician. He's part of like a magician comedy duo, Penn and Teller. Um, I think they have a show called Foolish right now. It's a fun show. Um, he's actually an outspoken atheist. Um, in sort of the, the 2000s decade when there was the new atheist stuff, he was sort of a minor celebrity in that new atheist orbit. Um, and as far as I know, he's still an atheist. But in 2009, he put out a video. And in the video, he told the story of a man who came up to him after one of his shows. And he said the man was respectful and appreciative of the show and had like a, a, a real human conversation with him. And then the man gave him a New Testament, and the man said, I'd like you to have this. I know I'm proselytizing. That means I know I'm sharing my faith with you and asking you to consider it, but I want you to have it. And so Penn tells the story, and then he says this. He says, if you believe that there is a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, there's a certain point where I just tackle you. And everlasting life is more important than that. So even this staunch atheist, you know, he writes books on it. Um, he sees that if something as important as eternal life is real, and if God is as good as we believe he is, it's an act of love to share that with others and hope that they see it. It's not for our benefit, it's for theirs. An Indian pastor named D.T. Niles said, evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. So that's what making disciples is, uh, or a part of it. Building God's kingdom on earth is an act of joining in our heavenly father's mission and an act of humble love to the people we care about so they can come find the food that we, by God's grace, have found. It's a joy that we get to join. So God is building his kingdom. He calls us to be part of the work of building his kingdom. What does this look like? And this is where we're going to finish. This is the last part of the sermon today. In our Matthew passage, Jesus commands his disciples to take four actions. So there are four verbs he kind of uses. Uh, we can't really see this in, uh, our, in the English translation, but make disciples is sort of like the header verb for the whole thing. So it's sort of like the, the summary of the whole deal. Um, if I just lost you, don't worry. We're not going to get into middle school English. We're moving on from there. Um, so the other three actions in these passage, in these verses, kind of support it, and they show us what making disciples look like. So they show us what spiritual multiplication means. And so that's where we're going to finish. The first action is go. So it says, I want you to go. And what go means is to take initiative. Um, it's the opposite of wait, of kind of sit around and do nothing. Jesus wants his disciples to take the initiative and move into the world, looking for opportunities to share the gospel and invite others to become disciples. That might mean going overseas, like Lance and Lisa and their family have done, or it might mean going to our neighbors or family members by initiating a deeper conversation with relationship in a relationship or even going to the next generation by volunteering with our students uh, or working with kids. So all of those are going, taking initiative. Um, 
I've shared a little bit about this woman's story before, but Rosaria Butterfield is a writer and a pastor's wife, and she lives in Durham. Um, when she was younger, she was a professor, uh, she was an LGBT activist, and she was in a lesbian relationship. Uh, at that time, she wrote a letter in their local paper that was criticizing a Christian event that had come into town. And she said that a pastor wrote her back asking kind of just some polite and insightful questions about the letter, some of the things that she said, and also asking her to come over to his family's house for dinner. And she writes in her testimony, uh, which she shares in Christianity Today, she writes, with this letter, Ken, it's the pastor's name, initiated two years of bringing the church to me. So going in this case didn't mean that he showed up in her office and started an argument. It meant that he reached out to her in love and invited her into a relationship where he could talk with her about her beliefs and kind of where she was and also share about Christianity with her. So this relationship of patiently sharing, asking questions, introducing her to a Christianity that she was naturally primed to reject. She went in hostile, you know, expecting all kinds of weird stuff, and she kind of talked about that in her testimony. Um, That can be what going looks like. That can be our call to go. Uh, Going can also mean what we call going there, as in, like, my wife knows I don't want to talk about the state of our shed right now, but she's going there because it has to happen. Um, So I I cleaned out this weekend. Uh, But I... (laughs) I heard one pastor say that he grew up with zero church experience at all. He had no knowledge of it. Uh, And on his high school football team, one day one of his teammates said, hey, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. When do you want to do that? He didn't say like, hey, can I? He said like, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. You just tell me when. When works for you. Um, And that was part of him uh, becoming a Christian, that this guy went there. Uh, Our communities should be places where we encourage one another to go in this way. Um, where we ask one another, who are you trying to love right now with the gospel? Who are you praying for? And how can we pray for you and support you in that? And a community might even decide to become a going community where you kind of organize your schedule so that you can invite people who are curious about Christianity or just people who need to be loved on into some of the things you do as a group so you can try to introduce them together, kind of like the story we talked about at the beginning. Um, This is a a team effort, not a personal kind of one-person-owned effort. A whole community can be part of this going mission. Communities can even support our missions partners. Um, We'd love to talk with you about that if that's something you're interested in, but I think we have one or two communities that are sort of dedicated prayer partners and support partners for some of our overseas workers. And so you can be part of the going of the church as well. So that's going. That's the first action. The second action is teaching. Jesus says in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, we tend to think of teaching as just giving information, a sort of pouring knowledge out on someone's head and, you know, hoping something sticks. But making disciples has a much richer sense of teaching than that. Um, my wife enjoys reading books about cooking, so not just like recipe books. She doesn't just read through the lists, but she likes books that talk about the making of food. And she reads those books not just to get information, though there's great information in there. She reads them so that her cooking becomes better through it. And her cooking is fantastic, so it works. Um, but she, uh, she wants to be taught by the authors, not just so that she could turn around and like, write a book about cooking herself, but so that her work in the kitchen is transformed and it's improved from what she has learned. So that's what 
Christian teaching means. It's more like that. Um, it, it includes giving information because that's necessary. Um, people need to know who is God. What has he done for us? What does it mean to know him? But it also includes seeking transformation so that, that knowledge becomes part of our hearts and it changes how we live. It changes who we are in our singleness or our marriage, in our work, in our neighborhood, in our family life. God's, the knowledge of God transforms us because it brings us into a relationship with him. We live differently as a result of being taught Christianity. I became a Christian halfway through college. Um, I had grown up in the church, but in college, I kind of stepped back from it. You know, kind of, if I was a student today, I would have used the language of deconstructing. You know, I kind of deconstructed the faith that I had. But there was an older college student named Charlton, and he befriended me, and he helped me wrestle with the questions that I was asking about Christianity. He helped me get the right information, get my information straight. And that was part of me actually becoming a Christian, finally coming to meet God. But after that, uh, over the next school year, he met with me every week, uh, gave an hour of his life to this like, awkward younger college student, and he talked me through and showed me how to live as a Christian. So how to deepen my relationship with God, how to relate to others in a community way, how to deal with the contents of my heart, and even how to turn around and kind of share my faith to others and help teach people what I was learning. So he helped me see how to live as a disciple of Jesus. He taught me to observe the things that God had commanded. So that's what Christian teaching looks like. It's not just imparting knowledge, but it's guiding people through this life of being transformed by God. One of our big ministry emphases next year, uh, whether there's a global crisis or not. So 2022 has been a mercifully normal year. Hopefully 23 will be too. Um, but one of our mini big ministry emphases is going to be evangelism. It's going to be helping prepare ourselves on how to share our faith with others. So there is going to be opportunities to grow in this coming down the line. But if you're in a community, it might be worth taking a meeting or so to see how comfortable everyone is teaching the basic truths of Christianity to someone else. Do I feel like I could tell someone what Christianity is and how to relate to God? Do I believe I could show someone what it means to become a Christian and to live as a Christian? And it also you know, could involve taking time to ask, who are you bringing along? Who are you helping to learn who God is and what it means to know him? It might also mean inviting people into the life of your community to help them learn what faith looks like. So there's the adage, it takes a village to raise a child. Uh, making a disciple of Jesus is the same way, like that story from Max Stiles showed. It's not just my job to carry the burden of making a disciple. Uh, it's a team effort, and it's a much lighter load if we can bring in a whole church's worth of people to help us with this. And if we all, as a community and as a church, are willing to take part in this active work of helping people see what it means to have faith, have this relationship with God, and to grow in that. So it's a, it should be something that we should dream as a community. What would it look like for us to be this kind of people who are a, a disciple-making community, a disciple-making culture? So that teaching is the second action in making disciples. And the third action is baptizing. Jesus says in verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a public sign that someone has become part of the Christian community, that they've passed from the old life apart from Christ into a new life with him. 
in baptism, if you haven't seen one, um, typically with an adult, they're immersed underwater and then brought back into the air. The Apostle Paul tells us that that means we were buried, therefore, with Christ by baptism in order that we could be raised to walk in newness of life. To be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is to say publicly, this is my deepest identity now. More than anything else, the reality of my life is that I belong to this one God, he has one name, that is also three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I want to live a life that belongs to him and to his people. Um, It doesn't save us, baptism doesn't save us, but it's a sign that God has saved us, that God has brought us into this life. So baptism means that God has joined us to his kingdom and his mission. And it also means that God is with us now. Um, Baptism is typically something we do as a church, not as a, a community group. But a community is still part of welcoming someone into the faith that comes on the backside of baptism and growing them in that. It publicly acknowledges this person was in this state and now they're in a new one. They were in death and now they're in life. It celebrates that and it helps them live faithfully um, that line. And I just want to close with this, uh, this last line from Jesus from verse 20. He says, I am behold, or behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what he says is, I've called you into this kingdom. I've made you part of this kingdom work that I am doing. I've shown you, I've taught you how to do it, and I've given you the tools to get started. You're still not on your own. As you do this, he says, I'm with you. I'm with individual Christians. I'm with communities. I'm with churches. I'm with the two billion people around the world who claim the name of Christ. As we participate in this work, We are deepening our relationship with the Savior who has brought us to the hope that we have in him. And we are preparing ourselves for the deep, deep joy of knowing him and enjoying his presence forever. Let's pray. Dear God, we are here by your grace because you have brought us into your kingdom, which we did not deserve but you made that happen. All of us, too, could probably point to people who have been part of that work in our lives, that they spoke truth, they loved us, they built a relationship with us, they encouraged us. They were part of your kingdom work. I pray that this would inspire us, that we would want to be disciples who make disciples in turn, that we would want to join you in this, this joy of seeing people come to spiritual life, come into a relationship with you. I pray that you would encourage and empower us in that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.